Welcome to the Giving Gifts Podcast, a podcast for real people sharing real stories, navigating how to use their gifts in this world. This is the first episode of 2023, and it was actually recorded at the very end of 2022, and I really can't tell you how thankful I am for this person and their courage to share their story. If you have ever met Geneva, you have most likely experienced the pure radiance she illuminates. And if you've ever been given the privilege of engaging with Geneva, you know the depth and sincerity of her presence. And if you stick around a little longer with Geneva, you may realize that that radiance and depth and sincerity is rooted in a person who is committed to navigating the deep complexities of self of life and death and all the in-betweens of learning to be fully alive. You know, all I have ever imagined with this podcast was to be a safe place for people like Geneva to share their experience, to know that they are loved, valued, and needed in this world. What I didn't know would happen is that I would be so deeply moved and impacted by the trust given to me to deliver these stories. Knowing you are loved, valued, and needed is not always easy. Life is rarely easy. And it feels important to mention that in this episode, Geneva bravely shares her journey with navigating religion her battle with mental health and suicidal ideation, and her process of self-acceptance. We are aware that these areas are sensitive, and we do not take that lightly. If you find yourself struggling with your own mental health or emotional, spiritual, physical health, I implore you to reach out and let someone know. It's stories like Geneva that remind us we're not alone. Even when it feels like that sometimes and your experience and your gifts and your story is so needed and important in this world. You are dying of curiosity? Yes. Of what we're going to talk about today? Well, you've been um, uh, cheekily uh, (laughs) mysterious about it and, and alluding to a plan. Well, no, I'm not. I didn't mean to be like sneaky. No, not sneaky. I said cheeky. Oh, cheeky. Cheeky. Which is also kind of sneaky. Eh, it depends, maybe. I What's the difference between cheeky I and sneaky? I have no idea. I think cheeky is more like, hmm. <laughs> and, and sneaky is like, hmm. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. Really, what I would love to hear is just, like, your story in a way that shows transformation because I think that there has been so much Oof. mental, emotional, spiritual transformation you've gone through. No, I I truly do love this idea for, well, there's three reasons I want to, three things I want to mention. Um, one, I love the idea of reclaiming the word testimony outside of the, like, Christian context because I think... A lot of the issue I take now with the Christian context of testimony is that it's very much promoting the idea that we are inherently broken, evil beings, and that like the testimony is a highlight of every horrible thing we've done and everything we feel shame and guilty about, and how following this 
specific path is the only thing that redeems us. So I'm like viewing this experience as like, this is the, the testimony, the story, the background of how I came back to myself. Mm. And it's just like, it's going to be a story of, and it is a story of how I've always been worthy. Um, number two, uh, um, I actually have a really funny testimony story. My first boyfriend, um, I have like a interesting history with like um, romantic relationships and sexual relationships and all that kind of stuff. Um, But my first boyfriend um, was during my time at a private Christian college. So very religious, like purity culture, shame, all that kind of fun stuff. Um, but eventually, like, I, like, maybe a couple years after we broke up, I apologized to him because, like, I was going through my own shit and I can touch on that in the future. Um, and it, like, negatively impacted him and it wasn't entirely fair. Um, but (laughs) but the thing that I find really funny is that when I apologize, like, we're good, but when I apologized, he's like, yeah, you were part of my testimony. (laughs) And I was like, oh, damn, okay. I was like... I kind of love that. I know, me too. I was like part of the trauma of his come to Jesus. (laughs) Anyway, no shade to this person. I, like, I just think it's... I was impacted by it at the time. and, And laugh at the concept that... I just... Just laugh at, like... I don't even know entirely why I find it humorous. It's just, like, so intense that, like... Because I know how seriously he meant that at the time. Hmm. And just me being like, well, fuck. Like, <laughs> it's one of those... You're it's, like, so welcome. Tri- <laughs> I'm glad I could add some spice to your life. <laughs> it's just... It's one of those where it's, like, so... It, it's a tragic comedy. Like, I find it tragically humorous. Hmm. And then the third thing I wanted to say, and it kind of relates to how what you were saying earlier is like, that's a huge reason why I got the word escucha tattooed on me on Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> like, I didn't even know that this was like going to be the conversation, but like part of the reason I got listen tattooed on myself was because I have recognized in myself for a couple, for several years now that I am prone to, di- to like, um, writing people off mm. um, based on, like, maybe something they said in the past or, or even, like, something they're saying now. And I think, especially, like, having lived in the U.S., like, very briefly pre-Trump and then post-Trump, like, it... The, the political divide has been, like, really heightened in my time that I've been there. So trying to remind myself that, like, if I believe that people are having, like, hurt think, hurtful ideologies, not just to themselves, but especially towards other people, there's, like, people aren't going to change unless they want to. And really, like, we can't 
say anything that particularly will like magically change someone's mm-hmm. mind. Truly, I think the first key to really trying to like get anywhere with anyone that you care to like continue to be in a relationship with is to listen and like and to be in relationship with people because and to remember like as long as it's not violent or unsafe for you to be in relationship with them like i'm trying to remember to listen so yeah Hmm. and i i really love that idea because i mean i i often am, am reminding myself and i think even other people is that no one changes their mind by someone yelling at them yes and so when we live in a world where there's a lot of loud voices right now it's really hard to listen to anyone because there's a competition of being who's being heard and who's talking and so i think it go it goes both ways right like yes we need to be learning how to listen to each other better and then also we need to be learning how to create space for people to actually share because i think sometimes the people we would benefit from listening to don't even know how to use their voice and also are scared to share things that they believe in but feel that they will be pounced upon Mm -hmm. for believing those things And in the past, I have not had a lot of empathy for that. I've been like, you have toxic beliefs. Shut up. Like, be better. Mm. (laughs) Like, and like, that's, that's the reason why I'm like trying to shift because I, I recognize how easy it is to become closed minded. It's so easy. And even though like, I consider myself far more like leftist, like, because I don't know if liberal is the right word, but, like, on that spectrum of things. <laughs> but, like, I, I, anyone on any side of the spectrum of anything can become closed-minded. And, like, when we think about, like, I mean, one of the things I've been thinking about is, like, how neuroplasticity lessens with age. And one of the mm-hmm. things I've been scared of is getting old and, like, not being capable of mental change. Or, like, as I get older, not being capable of seeing beyond my opinion or worldview. And I've seen that, like, instinct in myself of, like, being like, no, I'm right. And other people are wrong and toxic. (laughs) Hmm. Um, It's just, I think I'm realizing in this season, however hard it is for me. Because it's far easier to cancel people, but it's not benefiting any of us to do so. Mm-hmm. And I was just listening to this really good podcast on like forgiveness and like how to really repent and forgive, which are two separate things. I could go on a tangent, but like, but like also just being like, being able to listen, but not feeling obligated to forgive anyone. Mm-hmm. So I think like, It's, like, still holding your values, still knowing where your limits are, but, like, and still prioritizing your safety and your well-being, but, like, I just need to listen more, is what, is what I feel like ding-donging in my mind. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And let's back, let's back up a little bit, because I think that that's a, probably a common 
theme throughout your whole life, right? Like is recognizing that you're listening more or less to something. Um, where, when was like kind of the first time you realized that the things that you had believed and you had listened to and you had held on to weren't serving you? Oh God. Um, I think there was clues along the way. So like the first, like I remember really distinctly, like not being able to sleep one night when I was a kid, it was like the second house we lived in. So it had to be sometime in elementary school. It was like later elementary school, but like, I remember sitting in bed being like, did Jesus really die on the cross? Like, that's just like a memory that is like burned into my brain. Cause I remember having that thought and like <gasps> panicking. Um, so, and, and like that question never left my brain since like, it wasn't something that I could just put away. It like happened and it like, it never went away. So, so from that point forward, it was, I truly, I think where like religion comes into play is I, for the longest time, held both my parents, but specifically my mom on a pedestal. And I recognized I held them on a pedestal for well into like my college years and having moved out. Um, and part of holding my parents onto, and especially my mom on that pedestal had to do with like experiencing trauma around 12, um, around like undiagnosed, well, generalized anxiety disorder, but also panic attack disorder and like not recognizing at the time what was happening and like being afraid of it happening again. Like that was the issue with the trauma is like not. That's why it became traumatic. It was because there was the lack of control and the lack of knowledge and the fear that it would happen again. And it did happen many times again. And just like the complete lack of understanding, the lack of treatment for it. So, and that, it, that is truly like no one's fault, but it just is what it is. But that started a pretty codependent relationship with my mom because the only person I felt safe around at the time who I felt like did the best they could to like validate my feelings and took it seriously was my mom. Um, and even though both of my parents, for whatever reasons, like couldn't identify that I was struggling with anxiety, um, that birthed that codependent relationship. And that, and that really led to me really, really, really seeking specifically my mom, but both of my parents' approval and like really caring about what they thought and just like doing everything I could to preserve that relationship so that that space would always feel safe. Mm -hmm. Um, and part of, part of that was, part of that was doing my best to follow in their footsteps. Like I just, and it's only stuff that I've been like unpacking within the like the maybe last year or two, but like just realizing that like I was trying to hold on to that sense of safety and what felt like an unstable mental existence, which I didn't recognize at the time as mental existence. Like part of like part of what I was told to do at the time was to say, 
vete aquí en el nombre de Jesús. Like, as if it were, like, a demon or a devil or, like, like something that was coming for me. Mm. Um, and to say, and that phrase translates to um, leave, leave here in the name of Jesus or, like, be gone in the name of Jesus. And boy, did I try. Um, and truly, I think... Because, like, I've seen throughout my life, and I still believe this, like, I've seen how their faith in Jesus and Christianity has benefited them. It's benefited them immensely. Um, and I think I wanted that, apart from their approval and, like, wanting to maintain a good relationship. Like, I I have always somewhat envied that. Um In a, in a sense that, like, I wanted it for me, not that, like, they shouldn't have it, but, like, but, um, I just, I don't know. Like, I, I think at the time it was just, like, this is the only path I know. Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. and I know that a lot of decisions I made, like, for example, in high school to, like, not sneak out or, like, not break any rules or not, like, drink before it was legal. Like, I did out of fear. I did out of deep anxiety that I did not recognize that if I like screwed up in any way that I would jeopardize that relationship and that my parents would lose trust in me and I would lose that safe space. And I remember one time in high school, oh my God, there was another missions group team that I think I was doing translations for. I don't remember what the churchy moment was about, but, um, I remember feeling such shame and the shame was due to like, why can't I just believe this? Why can't I just follow in these footsteps that have laid out for me? Like my parents seem to have a good life. Like, why can't I? And just being like, you're just not doing enough. You're not. Yeah. Essentially I was, I just was not doing enough. And that really translated to college. So college, I went to a private Christian college. Um, I think I think all of my coping skills around my mental health for a long, before then, had been effective because I had the structure and the safety net of my unfortunately codependent relationship with my mom. Um, and once I left and had to like, and didn't have that in the same way, all of those skills that I had built up from when I was 12 until I was 18, um, just started to fail. I was already struggling with my mental health, had already started going to, um, like the university provided therapists. Um, and, and at that point, um, I started dating this very nice guy. Um, and my mental health took a nosedive um, because what I discovered around that time was I, I, I would just get panic attacks at the idea of like dating anyone or like anything related to like, I mean, at the time, like sex wasn't even on the like table necessarily, but like it was this cycle of like wanting to be close with this person. But then after we shared like nice moments or intimate moments or whatever, 
like I would get near panic attacks. I would get nauseous. I would be like sobbing. Like it was just trauma responses. And like, I had no idea what the fuck was happening. And that was the first time that I started experiencing uh, passive suicidal ideation. So I got diagnosed. I, I don't even know if that's a, technically a diagnosis, but I was told like you have, you have generalized anxiety disorder. And that was the first time anyone told me I had generalized anxiety disorder. You have panic attack disorder and you, no wait, I don't know if they said panic attack at the time, but it was generalized anxiety disorder, major depressive disorder and uh, passive suicidal ideation. Um, and it was, it was devastating because at the time, like I had built up my life being like, I'm a happy outgoing extrovert. Like, Mm -hmm. like I'm just bubbly and I'm nice and I'm agreeable and hopefully people like me. Like that was, I just, I had never expected to get to a point where I wanted to die. And, and and that was like the first of a journey with like accepting and making peace and even being able to talk about like having experienced suicidal thoughts, which I have now learned are far more common than any of us talk about um, and far more normal than any of us talk about. Um, when it all took a dive, I remember distinctly in that year being like, if I don't read my Bible enough, like, I will get mentally ill. It was this, like, toxic relationship with with the Christian idea of God at the time that, like, and, like, my parents would even agree that this is not correct. But, like, for whatever reason, I, at the time, was like, if I don't read my Bible enough, if I don't go to church enough, if I don't invest in this enough, like, this is the only, my idea at the time was, like, God is the only thing keeping my brain together. Mm-hmm. And if I don't do enough and anytime my mental health took a dive, I'd be like, well, it's not my fault. Cause I haven't, I haven't been reading my Bible enough. Mm-hmm. And it was, I remember going, there was like a chapel, like a small chapel near, I would go in there and I'd be like, I just be like, I need to do more. I need to be better. I need to like, yada, yada, yada. When I became an RA, since it's a private Christian college, like part of the RA experience junior year was to, was like a very religious RA experience. So we had like testimonies, we did um, a bunch of things like as a RA group and that involved like spiritual components. Um And I remember at the time, I would say, like, probably, like, that period of time was the most secure I felt in my religiousness and being like, wow, I actually believe this. And then I remember being in chapel one day and the thought again, did Jesus really die on the cross? And I was like, fuck, not again. And then it really never recovered from that and I think after that period so after I stopped being an RA because like the year was done I the next semester I studied abroad in London so that was like the first time in those three years 
that I had been in like a secular environment, far more similar to like my schooling experience here in Mexico. Um, studying abroad in London was like the first time that I, I felt like I was out of the Christian bubble in like a really long time. Mm -hmm. And I think it was the first time ever that I think I started to allow myself to think this isn't working for me. Like I have tried and tried and tried and tried and I have cried and I have invested and I have done everything I think is reasonable to do to try and do this and to follow in my parents' footsteps. It's not working because I still have all these questions. Mm -hmm. And that kind of leads back to like, ever since I was little, I've always questioned everything. And I had a conversation with my mom recently and it's really interesting because she would admit like, she just didn't question anything. She just took what she was raised up with at face value and it worked for her. So there was really no need to question it. And I, that makes sense. Um, but for me, like I started questioning things really young and kind of the, the, I just have some very existential questions around the Christian faith that no one has been able to answer in a way that makes even a little bit of sense. Um, so I finally just decided around that period of time that I was done holding on to religion with clenched fists being like, don't you dare fucking escape. Um, mm -hmm. and I decided to view my faith or spirituality or whatever as like a bird that is. And I decided to like visualize myself as like holding my palms open and being like, you can return if you please, but I am letting you go. Um, because the, the, tightness of like holding on in a very like metaphorical way was like I was digging my nails into my hands mm -hmm. with how tightly I was trying to follow this path and be the person that I felt my parents wanted me to be um and the person I'd wanted to be for a time um um it just like it just wasn't coming naturally no matter how hard I tried and I wasn't reaping the benefits that I saw my parents reaping. Um, and I think that's when I finally allowed the question of like, why is this supposed to work for everyone? Just be a question that was valid of like, we all come from like very different culture, different cultures and backgrounds and lived experiences. And it has just not ever made sense to me how Jesus is the only way. Because, like, the concept that other people would be, like, d literally damned or, or just, like, misguided because they didn't grow up in the context I grew up with, which, with th this being what they were taught, mm -hmm. like, it just never made sense to me. Um, and that was one of those things where I'm like, how is this the only way? Like, none of us are all homogenous, so... I think in finally 
loosening my grip on what I thought would be my life path. Um, when I came back um, from studying abroad, I moved in with what continues to be like one of my best friends from college um, and, and the friend I hiked Yosemite with, two separate people, um, and, and a couple of other people. But, um, but that was a space, like even though we had gone to Christian college together, like at the time we were all coming to a place pretty much at the same time, like coincidentally, where we were starting to question our assumed heterosexuality. And, and for me, for me, really what like made me realize like, oh, I should pay attention to this was I was watching a movie. Um, I remember this distinctly. Um, I was watching a movie called Mulholland Drive and it's, it's pretty like, it's not a romantic movie. It's a pretty dark movie, but it has, um, a lesbian sex scene in it. And I remember feeling some kind of way about it and being like, oh, oh no. (laughs) And then like thinking back on like all the times I had said to my friends, expecting it to be a completely normal thing, but getting like weird faces from them. Being like, well, I think tits are the bee's knees, but I wouldn't want to sleep with women. And they're being like, what? (laughs) So, like, I'd said that for many years on multiple occasions. So, like, looking back, there's a bunch of clues. But because I'm also, like, still capable of attraction to men, like, I I was just like, oh, this is a thing? Great. No issues here. We can just be straight. Great. Like, I just didn't think to go any further from there because I was like, oh, you feel something for men? No need to think about anything else. Um, But that, so, so early 2018 was when I started thinking in my mind, in another life I would have been bisexual. Towards the end of 2018 was when I started telling some of my close friends, I think I'm bi. And... And it was exciting and it was scary. Um, and it was it was somewhat unexpected because for so long I just hadn't thought about it. I just assumed heterosexuality for myself. And that's all I had imagined for myself too. Um, so yeah, end of 2018 was when I realized that heteronormativity was also not serving me. And I think that continued to be validated once I moved to Chicago. So I moved to Chicago um, May, May of 2019. So I started a new job, which unfortunately ended up being a pretty toxic work environment. Um, um, I moved to Chicago, which now I've loved living in, but then Um, just didn't know anybody. Um, so that was hard. And three, my mental health took a horrific dive. Um, I would say that that year competes for worst year of my life with like when I was 12. So like when all of this shit started. So I just started to experience like really heightened constant levels of anxiety around work. Like I remember like maybe my first week I went 
the wrong direction on the train after work and like made my commute instead of it being like 40 minutes, like an hour and a half. Cause I had to like circle back. Um, and I remember I had been so anxious all day and I'm so terribly good at masking that like I kept my shit together the whole time. And because of like the energy it took to mask like the panic attack, I was essentially starting to feel, I like got home and promptly threw up in my toilet. Like, like it's <laughs> just so bad. And I, and at the time I used another belief that I think no longer serves me. I used to believe that if you start to feel the signs of a panic attack, you, a panic attack, you are doomed to experience it. So, like, if you didn't let yourself feel it, it would just stay bottled up and eat you alive, essentially. So, I used to think, like, okay, I can hold it off for, like, four hours, which is insane. Um, (laughs) But then, after these four hours, I'll go home and I'll have a panic attack. (laughs) And it was awful. It was truly horrible. So, I moved May, got appendicitis in July. Um, Thankfully, um, my friend... Who I was living with at the time, who was still my friend, um, was able to be there for me and it made a big difference. Um, and I love them to bits for it and for many other reasons, but, um, but, um, so yeah, it was, it was bad mental health, probably a lowered immune system that led to like, I mean, who, who will ever know, but like had appendicitis in July and then by September, by September, I was starting to get scared because, like, that's the worst the suicidal ideation ever got. Like, that September was when, like, I was like, oh, I need help. Um, because I was calling my mom at the time every morning, crying, and, like, like trying to stave off panic because I was just like, I just didn't want to go to work and it gave me so much anxiety, but like I felt trapped because the healthcare system in the US is so linked to employment. So my employment was the catalysts, one of the catalysts for this horrific stint of mental health. But I was like, I need this job to be able to afford the mental health providers I apparently very much need. Um, so it was like I couldn't leave, but I didn't have the energy or the health to look for something better or something else. Because also I got pretty mentally ill pretty quickly after starting this job. So it's like, so it was like there was no, it didn't feel right to quit so quickly like it would look bad on a resume or whatever um but yeah at the time I remember feeling really really trapped so September I was talking one morning on on the phone with my mom and she asks me what do you need and I was like I don't know I don't know um I think I might have said something else but I remember distinctly my mom saying no what do you really need And I remember at the time thinking, because my grandma, my mom's mom, has Alzheimer's. And at the time, my mom was going up to see my grandma and just helping her do adult stuff. So, like, doctor's visits, like, 
kind of like the admin part of being an adult. Um, so I just told her, I need you to do for me what you're doing for your tutu, which is what we call my grandma. Um, and so she came. She came in September. She essentially helped me schedule an appointment with a psychiatrist. Helped me, I think, if I remember correctly, change psychologists. Because I, at that point, I think I was, I was like, I had already tried two. It was not working. So I think I was changing to my third at that point. Um, and, um, and she essentially cooked, she cleaned, she scheduled dentist appointments, like just everything that I felt physically incapable of doing. And I will be eternally grateful for that. Um, cause yeah, that still makes me emotional. Like that was very nice of her and it was very needed and very helpful. Um, and it was kind of wild because that's the first time I got on meds. Because I had been scared to go on meds because I was like, what if they... I don't know. I don't even remember what I was thinking at the time. It was it was just something along the lines of like... What if I become dependent on them, I think. Mm -hmm. and, and, and I think that was just... Because I'd already been thinking about getting on meds and just that season of time where I was like, if I don't get on meds... I might die. So, I mean, I, I never formulated a plan because I was fortunate enough at the time to, to know, because mental illness steals this knowledge from people, but I was very fortunate enough to know and remember that my loved ones, especially my family, would not be better off without me. Because a lot of people that knowledge is stolen from them, which leads to, unfortunately, a lot of death by suicide. I was, I mean, I think that belief was one of the core life-saving beliefs, but like, so because I had that belief, I was doing, I was existing for my loved ones. Like, I would just think of them whenever I would think of just wanting everything to end. And, and like, really, like, it was interesting. When my mom came in September, I got on meds, and we both saw my transformation very quickly. It happened in, like, the span of two weeks. And it was wild. And... <laughs> and things started to get better. For sure, they got significantly better, and I found a therapist that worked much better at the time, and and so that was September of 2019, and I was like, all right, I think I have the energy to like start exploring Chicago, start like doing this and that, and the next year was 2020. <laughs> So, but you know the horrifically, I mean, I say hilarious, but I say it like sarcastically or whatever. But like the horrifically hilarious thing was, was that like 2019 was such a horrific year for me that 2020 
I was like, this is manageable. Like, it's mm. not the greatest, but it's manageable. Yeah. Because it just didn't compare. And because I was like, that's outside scary, not inside scary. Mm. So I was like, I can deal with the outside. Um, <laughs> um, as long as the inside is far more stable. In terms of suicidal ideation and being so ashamed and being like physically almost incapable of talking about it in the past, just being so ashamed that I had wanted to die. Um, um, something that really helped in therapy was to change my perspective on, on what suicidal thoughts are. In my experience, and this is not everyone's experience with suicidal ideation, it's not that you actually want to die, that you're like craving death specifically. It's truly that like something is so utterly unbearable and it is not, and there's no end in sight. Truly, it's just about wanting that unbearable feeling to end. It's not that you want to end. It's that you want that unbearable feeling to end. You need that unbearable feeling to end. Like now I'm in a place where I'm like, there's no shame in having wanted to die. Um, and there's no shame in some of the intrusive thoughts that are suicidal ideation. And like even realizing that some suicidal ideation are is to an extent just in intrusive thoughts. Just realizing that it's not, it's not about me it's not about anyone else it's not about it's not about an indication of love or anything it's just not being able to cope with your existence at the time and that shift in mentality has really helped me be able to talk about it um and to realize that there is really no shame in it because it's not an indication of worth or strength or truly like the love you have for others. Um, it's, it's just about being sick and just like not being able to cope, even though it's hard. Like I, I do like to talk about it's, I don't know if likes the right word, but like, I do want to talk about, that experience and that shift in mindset because we're starting to talk about it more, but it's like far more common than I ever realized. And that has kind of led into kind of a, a mind shift that I'm still currently working on because I've, I think since 2019 up until now, I have only just recently, I think, started to appreciate life again. Because even though I was no longer, like, actively having suicidal thoughts, I still had a very, and still kind of have, a very dreary um, view on life. And a very, like, like, life is a drag mentality. And a very, like, life is hard mentality. And life can be hard. Life is hard. I've realized that I, that... That mindset is also no longer serving me. Like, I understand where it came from. And I have compassion for myself for 
having such a pessimistic view on life. But I, but I have realized within the past couple of months that like, I have been focusing, I've, my focus has been too much on the shadows and the blacks of the image that is life. Mm -hmm. I haven't spent enough time, like mental headspace time, or even just like intentional time, focusing on the midtones and the highlights. Because those exist too. There is no image without there's no image without those components. Mm. And like I don't know exactly when I started to really embrace my existentialism. I think it's been within the past maybe year and a half. But but viewing life as just like Oh man, like this thing that like we only guaranteed have this existence that we're aware of. And it is what it is. And it is going to involve suffering. But I also had forgotten that there are moments of peace and joy in it too. And wonder and awe and hope. And and all of it has to exist because without it, it wouldn't be the reality that we live in. Yeah. So I've, I've, I've been working a lot recently on a journey to acceptance. Listening to all of this, I think there's like a common theme of any time you found yourself holding onto something really tightly, there's been an invitation to, to release that. And when you release that, there's a deeper sense of recognizing something new about who you are and who you're becoming. And I think that that's something, whether it's religion, whether it's like obligation to please someone, whether it's just this desire to have the life you watched your parents have. I mean, all of these different aspects lead to you holding on to an idea really tightly. And when that idea was so tightly held in your hands and you realize like, I still can't do this. I can't be this. I'm not getting the outcome that I thought I wanted or needed, there's been almost a force of reckoning, like reckoning of, hey, you have to let go of this. Yeah. And it seems like that's that's a that's like a constant theme. And I'm I'm glad you got to that point where you where you said like I had to let go of something that that I felt like was keeping me safe, that was keeping me secure, that made me comfortable because all of the all of the other stuff that came with that was also not helping you like it wasn't helping you love people well or yourself well it wasn't helping you see the world or people or it wasn't helping you be understood and I think that that's like attention that a lot of people find themselves in when it comes to religion, when it comes to belief systems they grew up with, when it comes to political beliefs or whatever it is, it's, it's recognizing that if we have such close fists to anything, we're not able to really see something else. I think even though the shifting of worldviews is one of the most mentally taxing 
things that I've done, but I think that anyone can do is I don't think the brain is made to shift so intensely like a worldview. Um, it, it feels like taking an hours long math test. It's just like mentally exhausting. But in doing that work, I have, I feel at the moment more myself, the most connected with my body I've ever been, and the most at peace, like in, in an acceptance way of myself, not even just who I am, just of like myself as someone who exists. Mm. And and now I think the struggle, the, the sometimes painful struggle is, is because it wasn't how I was raised. And I still love dearly people who, who are still in the Christian faith and still religious and still in other faiths too. Um, I can feel the freedom for myself and I can feel the peace and the goodness for myself, but it bumps up with other people's beliefs of what is good. Um, so I'm working on how do I listen? How do I still be in relationship with people who I want to be in relationship with? Who, who just think, I don't even know if like that I'm wrong or bad or like broken or like that this quote-unquote path I'm on is like will lead me astray or to more dismay because it's like really like I don't it it's finding a balance between like I want to continue to love people who who choose to disagree with who I am or what or like some of my core beliefs and how to be in relationship with them while not needing their approval mm. or still respecting their point of view but not caring about their opinion. Mm. Mm-hmm. And that's really hard for me. That's really hard for anyone. And I think you also hit on something that I was going to draw back to really quick. You kind of mentioned like when you released everything that you were holding on to when it came to religion and you kind of had to give up that identification as a quote unquote Christian in order to even navigate what, what spirituality meant to you, you know, and then you went through a, a, a lot of battle with mental health, a lot of battle with relational disposition. Sure. And now you're finding yourself in this place and you talked about how you've accepted so much of who you are and you're inviting more of the mid-tones and high-tones in. And when you said that, I, I just had this beautiful like illustration in my head of... 
the aspects that you were you were like talking about were the original things that I think were appealing to me about who God is. Mm. And that is the sense of grace and the sense of joy and the sense of love and the sense of gratitude yeah. and these aspects that we had to like in some ways and again our stories are a bit different mm -hmm. but in some ways like when you give up you let go of something you almost have to let go of all of it and then <laughs> realize like wait there's pieces of this that yeah. are really important and really true for sure and so it's really exciting to kind of hear you processing through the acceptance of I don't have to fit into this specific bubble and this meet this also comes with not feeling necessarily accepted or cared for always by a certain group or person or whatever that yeah. is and I can believe in certain things to be true about myself like yeah. I can believe that I'm not broken like yeah. I can believe that you're not broken yeah. I can see you and love you and care for you and forgive this uh, the circumstances in this universe yeah. and I can be a person who's accepting and open and willing to see people for who they are and so it's exciting to kind of hear your whole process and and to watch some of the things that you had to let go of actually return to you which is what you said and I I don't know I don't know what cheesy book or movie you read where you're like it's a bird and I'm freeing it. I, but I'm so about metaphors. I love that because it's true. I think that there's bits and pieces that are, are coming back to you and landing in you. Yeah. And the cheesy movie. <laughs> I, I don't I just think it's beautiful. You know, and I will say this. I mean, your your mom is my number one, like, fan. I love you, mom. <laughs> I'm sorry I cussed so much. And I'm so thankful for her. And it's so funny because what isn't recorded in this is that you had this, like, fear of can I be honest and still like care well like can I be honest and not like hurt my parents feelings can I be honest and make this something like my mom's proud of and this whole this whole time I was just thinking like I know she's gonna be so proud of listening to this because what you hear in this is a person who's so committed and dedicated to navigating how to show up and how to love well and you are reflecting what she showed you, which is the whole thing of you were fearful you weren't going to be able to reflect that. So I just want to point that out because I think it may be one of the most beautiful reflections I've seen. And I'm just very grateful for that. <laughs> well, for everyone listening, I'm crying. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh. <laughs> uh. Well, thank you. That's very kind. Yeah, there's just beauty in knowing that your story is important. And there's truth in knowing that your story continues to unravel. And as it unravels, there's bits and pieces of it that we're never expecting had such an impact on us. And I just want to implore you to keep exploring. And I'm so proud of your openness and your consistency to challenge and your flexibility to change your mind. Like, that is such a beautiful gift you have. And so I hope that you see that and know that and believe that and trust that. And I'm just very thankful for you. 
Darling, your jokes they kill me. I know your jokes they kill me. I know your jokes they kill me. Honestly, do honestly, do honestly, do. Oh, 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 oh. Uh, knock knock. Who's there? Uh, oh. Wait. Did you just forget? <laughs> Wait, no, I had one joke and remembered another one. I think, I think this is how it goes. Knock, knock. Who is there? You. You who? I didn't know you could yodel. Oh. Thanks for listening to the Giving Gifts. Like, share, and subscribe. This show is the shit. Spread some love and joy. Know that you're a gift.